Well, g'day. Are you living a questionable life? Is your life one that makes people turn their heads and wonder? Does it cause them to actually think and reflect on why you act the way you do? Because your habits are not what's expected or easy or typical? Well, such is the life that followers of Jesus are called to live. We are sent into the world by Jesus to arouse curiosity and to engage people's questions about the hope we have. The Apostle Peter expresses it this way. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Well, let's hear from followers of Jesus at Gateway about how they share the hope that they have in Jesus with gentleness and respect. At work, for me, speaking Christ to people isn't the way that I show Jesus to people. For me, it's always been about the way I act, the way I portray myself, and the way um, that I speak to people. I live by the faith, but people can kind of see it rather than me speaking it. It's worked well for me in the sense that it's, it's easy because you don't have to be worrying about talking to people all the time, but people become curious. People become curious on why you are the way you are. When um, people approach me with their struggles or their heartache or their stresses, I'm able to communicate to them how different it can be and how much they can let go and how much they have a loving God that wants to help them through that and support that, support them and walk through it with them and they don't have to do it alone. The difference that Jesus definitely made has grown my compassion and my patience for others. And I definitely see my role as a nurse as something so valuable and honourable that I get to be part of someone's experience when they're the most vulnerable, when they are having the most fear, the most pain, and sometimes their family's not even in the room. And so they, have, they, they, they choose you to unwind to. I had like some good friends at school and in year 11, I think um, they kind of noticed that I was maybe struggling a little bit with school and um, having some falling outs with friends and, you know, in a very transitional stage and um, invited me along to uh, youth. Just kind of a, almost immediately just felt very welcomed and yeah, everyone that I encountered through youth and church was always so welcoming and they actually were invested in the conversations. Like, it was a very strange um, occurrence to have people ask like, how you're doing? And actually they're interested in the answer. I'd say the best way to talk to your friends about your faith and about Jesus is often not actually talking about it. I think you need a base of strong friendship and relationship and respect because, you know, if you come into a group and just try and force something, it's, you're just going to get shut down. So I think the best advice I'd have is just be real with those people and get to know them show interest in them and you can just start talking about it once once you talk to each other about things that you're passionate about. We were young and married. We had a three bedroom house that we were living in and we had room and we kind of fostered a girl who was in trouble and stuff. And she was 15 at the time and all that sort of stuff. And she came and lived with us and she was angry and she was bitter and all that sort of stuff. 
And just through us running a life group at, at home and she watched that from a distance and stuff like that. And then we didn't hear from her again after her six months of being with us. And then one day at a men's conference 20 years later, I'm praying over a guy who's given his heart to God and it's her husband. And he was telling me, as I was praying for him, um, I said to him, so what brought you to this? And he said, well, this couple used to host my wife at their house. That's it. That's where it is. It was nothing we said. It's what we did. I love inviting people along to church and I love the surprise that they get when they come because it's never what they expect. Um, I have a lot, hear a lot of people talk about church being a cult or somewhere that just wants your money or somewhere that's boring or somewhere that, you know, is out of touch with reality today. And um, so I love just to challenge that and say, you know, maybe you don't quite understand what it's about. You know, why don't you come and, and I tell them how much I find it inspiring and uplifting. And worst case, if you come and you, you know, don't, don't love it. The worst thing is you've met some amazing people, you've listened to some fantastic music and some really talented artists. Um, I guarantee you'll have a laugh. There's great coffee, um, you know, and you might just find that it's a way of life that you want to investigate a bit further, but just challenge them to come back and or give it a try. Well, when it comes to our faith, it's important to know what he would say and do in any circumstance. And I don't think we can begin to do this unless we have given ourselves to the missional habit of learning Christ. Now, this expression to learn Christ was used by the earliest Christians, and it meant giving yourself to a period of regular study about Christ's person and work, who he was, what he said, and what he did. Uh, some churches today refer to this as catechism. Now, author C.S. Lewis said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. Without this, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions and sermons are simply a waste of time. It's even doubtful that the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It was made for Christ and everything is to be gathered together in him. Lewis is simply saying that learning Christ must be our preoccupation. That is, followers of Jesus are to be preoccupied with him, his ways and his words. Matthew's gospel says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As his followers, when we set our minds to learn Christ, we benefit devotionally, we grow in intimacy with him, with the spirit and in the word. But we also benefit in a missional way when our actions begin to reflect his actions. Author Michael Frost laments that Christians seem to only have a passing knowledge of the gospels, you know, what he calls just knowing Jesus' greatest hits, his birth, a death, resurrection, and a few miracles and parables thrown in for good measure. Frost tells the story of speaking at a conference for the Christian Surfers Association. Now, this is a great organisation established to share the gospel with surfers worldwide. 
and he asked them to name their favourite all-time surfer. Of the many responses he received, the overwhelming name given to him was the US champion Kelly Slater. He then asked why. And people got so enthused, they started yelling out what they knew. He was 11-time world champion. He won five in a row. He was the youngest at 20 and the oldest at 39 to win the world title. They knew where he grew up, his brand of board, the years he won, etc., etc. Michael said it took a long time to quieten the room. He then said to the conference that in order to share Christ as the reason for our hope, we need to immerse ourselves in his story. So tell me, he said, what do you know about Jesus? Well, their response was much more muted, even limited as if they were just recalling doctrines. They offered things like, well, he is Lord. Uh, he died for our sins, which is all true. But they didn't speak about Jesus with anywhere near the passion they spoke of Callie Slater. Michael asked why they thought this was their response to Jesus. And he just received a silent response. Michael Frost concluded, not every Christian should be an evangelist, but I do think we need to be evangelistic. When we live questionable lives and people then ask about our motivations, we should be able to speak about Jesus, what Jesus means to us, with passion, enthusiasm, reverence, awe, and delight. So my encouragement is for you to spend a portion of time each week practicing the missional habit of learning Christ. And the best way to do this is to immerse ourselves in his remarkable story, which is found in the biographies written by those who knew him best. We call them the Gospels. Can we add this missional habit to our existing spiritual diet? Now, if you are part of a life group study, keep doing that. And if you have a personal study or devotional time in other scriptures, keep doing that. What I'm saying is, can we just add one portion of time in the Gospels a week? Well, how would we do that, you might say? You could read a whole Gospel each week. Now, I've tested this. It'll take about one to two hours at a very slow pace, one to two hours in a whole week. Or you could listen to it on a Bible app. Now, I do that every morning while I'm getting ready for work. Secondly, you could read books by Christian authors about Christ's life. The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey is, is a great book to start with uh, within this. We could also watch movies about Christ. There's the Passion of the Christ, and then there's The Case for Christ, which is a more recent movie, great illustrations of how Jesus lived amongst ordinary people. Now, there's also an amazing series called The Chosen, which is my current choice for learning Christ. It's multiple episodes and seasons telling Jesus' life story in fresh ways. It's available free as a phone app, or you can access it on YouTube. Why not host a chosen watch party? 
or invite someone to dinner before viewing it with them. That way you can, you can hit on the bless and eat and learn in the same, uh, same time. Or you could watch it with your life group. It's just too good to watch on your own. Well, whatever you decide, the bottom line is, to model our lives after his example, we must know him. To know him, we must learn of him. When we learn Christ, we can naturally share with others what he means to us. I want to leave you with some inspiration about this missional habit of learning Christ by showing you excerpts of season one of The Chosen. It shows Jesus teaching about the lost sheep and an interesting insight into the Good Samaritan parable. My prayer is that you might see afresh the remarkable story of Jesus' life, that you might learn of him, and so be ready, willing, and able to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope, about the joy, about the passion for life you have because of him. Are there any sheep herders in the crowd? I am. Ah, welcome. We are honored you are here. I have a very warm place in my heart for shepherds. Who is tending your flock now? My brother. We're taking turns. How many sheep? One hundred, teacher. Say one of them goes astray. What do you do? I'd go look for it, of course. Of course. But what about the other ninety-nine? I'd have to leave them behind. I can't lose the one sheep. Hmm. And if you find it? I'd lay it over my shoulders and bring it home. And I would probably do a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say to your friends who are worried for you? Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Do you see what he just said there? He rejoices more for one sheep than over the 99 who never went astray. So it is not the will of my father that one of these should perish. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You must be Melech. I am. You're the teacher. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. These are my students. I believe I owe you a debt of gratitude. I would bow, but uh, as you can see... It's John and Big James here that put in the sweat. You own the field? I do. We thought it was for travelers. Okay, so spit it out. What's the catch? Catch? You don't know me from Adam. You're a Jew. You come all the way from Galilee to preach in town. You send your students to work my land. Fortina told us you were in need. Mm -hmm. She told me all about you. So what do you want from me? I don't have any money. I can't make a donation to your ministry. Can't even feed my family. That's what I want. What? I would love for you to share a meal with me and my friends. I'm really so very sorry, but uh, 
We don't have any food. Not even for ourselves. We've got that covered. Please. We would be honored. <laughs> the boat almost flipped. Then the net strained so hard, I thought my arms would come out of their sockets. And James and John took their sweet time coming to help us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to call for help five times before you moved. So you followed him all the way into Sumeria? We did suggest the alternate route along the Jordan. <laughs> you didn't think it could be dangerous for you? Of course. <clears throat> when I was a little girl, my father told me the Messiah would bring an end to pain and suffering. If you are who people are saying you are, when will you do that? I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that is coming soon. Or yes, sorrow and sighing will flee away. I make a way for people to access that kingdom. But in this world, bones will still break. Hearts will still break. But in the end, the light will overcome darkness. Speaking of broken bones, what's the story? Uh, I fell off a horse. Well, I didn't see a pasture. Yet, uh, it wasn't mine. Ah, a friend's horse. That's always dangerous. No, not, not exactly. Oh. Look. You've already done so much for me that I didn't deserve. Come, Rebecca. It's time for bed. Yes. Say good night to your new friends. Good night. Good night. Good night. If you knew who I am, you would never have helped me. That's not true. This is what we Jews do. We tell and listen to stories. Our stories connect us. Tell me your story. We ran out of money and food. My little Rebecca, I could see her ribs through her skin. Hedva, her eyes turned gray. There had been a drought, so there was no work in town. I had a friend in Tiratana who was also in bad straits. We traveled south past the frame and lied in wait along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We attacked a Jew who was traveling alone. 
Pulled him down from his horse, took all his money and all his clothes. He fought back, so Dishon knocked him down. Hit his head on a rock. I thought he was probably dead. Dishon was to take the Jews' belongings and sell them to bond traders in Anathoth. I was to ride north and sell the horse at a Roman outpost. <laughs> but I wasn't on for ten minutes when she reared up through me, broke my leg. I had to... I had to crawl on my elbows and forearms to the nearest town and beg for a ride back to Sikar, worse off than before. So now you know what you've done. kind of man you've helped. Every day, I think about that Jew. Naked and alone, on the road, possibly dead. <laughs> I could be a murderer. He didn't die. Somebody came along and helped him. How do you know? Melek. I know. I promise you, he did not die. into town before it gets too late. Yes. We never know what sort of men may lay in wait along the side of the road, huh? Too soon? <laughs> you told him. I think you already knew. May I? Sleep well tonight, my friend. 